it's almost a novel's work along the lines of not jokes exactly, but whether it's I'm thinking sort of more like Don, Don Quixote or Tristram mm-hmm. Shandy, isn't it? Shaggy dog stories, and I think so, so, most of the time there's a laugh, even if it's a mm-hmm. dark laugh. Mm-hmm. And then every so often, so there's a, a particular I don't want to get the scene away, but where Roy gets at, at Ruth, mm-hmm. and I kept thinking, oh, it's it's not going to because I yeah because I think you are an optimistic mm-hmm. writer, but and then it happens, and you yeah you sit, but that and, and there's obviously a, there's a lot about luck in yeah. novel and karma. Um, were these thought these the sort of thoughts were they brewing and or is it is it the heart? probably in the back of my brain not in the front okay. but but definitely in the definitely in the back of my brain and yeah luck um, those as Ishmael says in Moby Dick when they, when he and Queequeg are making that that mat that's the that's the that's the frame that's the frame of destiny you've got you've got fate and luck and free will and 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 the the tapestry comes as a result of the fact that what they're making they're not making just anything whatever they're making has to be within the frame which which ishmael refers to as fate you can't Mm. go outside the you can't go outside the frame of what you're of what you're making um and then you have a certain amount of free will that exists over it because there you are you're the one that's making it and you and you and you decide what you're doing but then there's Queequeg over there, who's who's manning the other side of the manning the other side of the loom, and he's nodding off. So his so his so what he's doing is is pure random. So it's luck. So there you have there you have human destiny kind of in in a in in in, in a in a microcosm. Um, and. Um, so that's and I and I think in my in 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 especially in my later books where I've been thinking more and more about um, what is to me inexplicable and and mysterious mm-hmm. about my own life and and the lives of most of the people that I know is is seeing these things kind of kind of the threads all getting tangled and people being people are so confused about. It's not just me. People are so confused about their lives. When you hear people talk about their lives, um, most of the time they give credit. They give credit. They give far. They give themselves far too much credit <laughs> about what's worked out, and not nearly enough slack about things that that haven't. Yeah. You know. <laughs> the they're unforgiving. Yeah. They're just. They're just. <laughs> they can be so unforgiving of themselves. Some uh, in moments. In moments of honesty, and yet other times, you just look around and you see all these self-made men. Where the fuck did they all come from? <laughs> Nobody helped them. <laughs> well, you're your next president, apparently. Yeah. Needed- <laughs> oh, come on, please, please, please. <laughs> we might talk about that tonight, oh, isn't it? Oh God! Will you stay up late? You know, it's funny. Uh, yeah, I probably will stay up and watch it tonight. If it's, is it going to be carried the BBC? I would have thought so. Yeah, yeah. We, we're obsessed. Yeah. Well, as well, you should be. Uh, but as my daughter Kate was saying the other day, uh, she was she was here with her husband Tom. Her, her Tom's dad had a uh, had a uh, a medical emergency, and so they were they were over here for a while. Um, and uh, she said she said, "I swear to God, if I get over there and those people start on me about about <laughs> Donald Trump in this election, I swear to God, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna tell them, look, you." You you get you get to do this after the election, but but you've got your own. You, <laughs> don't 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 ask me to explain the outcome of this election before it happens after Brexit. <laughs>
love about your work is that is that meandering. I think there's, there's, a, there's a little there's a little section about me, the art of meandering. Right. Where your books meander, and obviously now you're you're in control. There's another yeah. section which has the idea of a small child guiding ants. This is what God, right. God is. Right. And, I and that's pic- Sully. Sully that's, that's Sully remembering and thinking about what God must be like. And then I pictured you a little bit. This is what the novelist does. So there's control, but there's also yeah. this nice chaos. Which came from, Do you think those two things are in, are in tandem for you? Does your, does your worldview create the kind of fiction you write, or has that started to shape also the way you, you look at things as well, as well, the way you manage? Interesting question. Because I've always... And from the from the point from the from when I started writing novels, I've always been a meanderer. I've always loved digression. I don't think it, I, I don't think it became kind of a philosophy mm. until much later. And I have had, as most writers have, um, you you've run into either teachers or later reviewers or critics or whatever, who don't, for one reason or another, share your either your worldview or genuflect before different artistic gods or, or, or whatever. And I've, I've, come up, I've come up against and across uh, people for whom, you know, a kind of pared down and linear... Um, uh, approach to art works wonderfully well, and there's and there's something about digression, especially taken to extremes like <laughs> like I do, um, who just um, find it just just find it very very disturbing. And it's been interesting that since I've started working in film, I see that even more because film is a different. It's a different medium, and it doesn't, for the most part, it doesn't really allow for the kind of digression that a good, thick, fat novel that you lose yourself. I mean, look at even the language that we use to describe a novel that we really love. You lose yourself. Mm. And that, that seems to almost imply that digression is going to be fine, that you shouldn't be able to see in a linear way where you're headed. Yeah. Um, Movies are much less forgiving, and, and you can. Every time I have found myself wanting to either digress or simply to live in the moment in a way that isn't driving the, the narrative forward, I have run across either a, either a producer or later the director, or sometimes in the editing room, they will say, "Well, the conversation was perfectly fine here, but it was going on too long," right. as if as if is if there were an immutable law that says we cannot go on past a yeah. certain past a certain point just for the sheer fuck all of it <laughs> are you having a good time or not if you're having a good time why would you want it to stop and and so in 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 film so sometimes you'll you'll give a sigh of relief your favorite scene has has been untouched only to discover in the final cut you know, your 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 final scene has either been eviscerated or it's been taken out of the film altogether. My the the movie that I wrote with Robert Benton um, um, called um, Twilight. All of my favorite stuff in that movie was on the cutting room floor. 
Uh, and and it and it just broke my heart. And that was no. The, the narrative has to pick up here. Right. We have to we have to make that drive for the finish. We have to um, we have to we have to we have to we have to. And the movie is running long. We have to. And it's and it's always it's always the aesthetic is always that that there's the possibility of of the viewer losing interest here for thirty seconds or or something or something like that. And you simply cannot. Talk people out of that, and whereas in a novel you don't, you really don't have to. But and the only the only people I can think of who get away with that, Quentin Tarantino yeah, gets away with that. He glories in yeah. the moment, and he glories in the language. Yeah. Uh, and he and how he manages, he must have final cut, because how how he manages to to keep that stuff. He he mustn't. Would he have had final cut in Reservoir Dogs? That opening scene. Can you imagine sitting, showing that to a bunch of studio executives, he might have had and having that, and having that opening scene in the yeah. coffee shop? Every every executive in the room would have said, "No, you begin with the bank robbery." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, funny, we were sitting behind someone watching the Hateful Eight on the plane going to the States, mm-hmm. and there's a scene in a in a uh, I think Samuel L. Jackson, and they're in a carriage, and I haven't seen the movie, but this scene went on for ages, and yeah. it's just the three, three right. or four people talking. Right, I just went, and I thought, wow. Yeah, because <laughs> I was thinking in this, in this uh, sort of plot point, like um, which door, which garage door is going to be opened by this? Right. Uh, that would probably have to be revealed, and then there would be the tension as, right. as Ray asked to go and find out who, right. who it is. Right. Whereas the garage, you, the garage door opener would have a much bigger part to yeah, play, a role to play in a movie. Yeah. <laughs> whereas you hear, get it here, yeah. it disappears. Yeah. You find something else. You find the then you dig it, other things it to get interested in, and then oh, then you see, then, at some point you think, oh yeah, the garage door opener. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Forgotten all about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. But that, that is an aesthetic, I mean, it's, it, and that is a kind of oh, absolutely. I live by that. I, I, I and as <clears throat> as I say, I started out just doing th- something that I that I was just entertaining myself. Never dreaming that it was an aesthetic that I would then be called upon over a long period right. of years to defend, uh, <laughs> or to rationalize or justify. But but now it's now it's come to the point where, I mean, people have asked me, um, you know, since you work in film, as I, I don't do as much as I used to, but I but I still do work in in film. And my daughter Kate is a budding screenwriter, so I'm doing I'm doing some things with her. But. Um, People say, "Well, you know what happens to novelists when they work in when they work in movies is, of course, the, you know they since it's going to be stripped down anyway, they tend to strip down their own work with that with that in mind. And so, even if you begin as a big, expansive, digressive um, novelist, if you work in film, your, your your books are going to get progressively shorter and leaner and more scene oriented, fewer flashbacks, um, fewer uh, less 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 time in your characters' heads." Um, Less physical description, all of those, all of those things that the camera is going mm-hmm. to do, um, and what I have found, of course, is that the exact opposite has, has happened. I mean, my my longest book, Bridge of Sighs, mm-hmm. came right after I think two or three film projects, one back to back, and I was just to get back to the novel again. It was just wonderful to have this, not to be working within that that. That framework and to and to and to expand and and just. Do you just, need to lose yourself a bit? I mean, is that is that? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I enjoy the feeling of being lost. Um, uh, 
except as in every book, there's a point at which being lost becomes genuinely scary because you don't know you don't know where you're going to end up. And it happened in this book, and it's it's happened, I think, in all of my books except Straight Man. Um, it the the point at which being lost isn't fun anymore. Um, it's it's genuinely scary because you because you're lost. Before we were just enjoying the feeling of being lost, and now now you're now you're now you're just terrified because you don't you've. That's the problem. Yeah. That's the challenge of being a comic novelist of the of the kind you are. That this constant. I was reading one of the reviews actually said, "It's just amazing to watch the the, the kind of comic invention." Here's another mm-hmm. sort of amazing set. Here's that. Yeah. Is there a point also that becomes exhausting, or is it just that because it's perhaps a series of episodes that eventually sort of conjoin? Is it what is the? Well, there's the the, the 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 problem with all of that is yes. I mean, if you can demonstrate that you can you can you can do these comic riffs, and that each scene has the potential for for great you know hilarity or even or even pathos, mm. your ability to do that within the form of the of the form of the scene. Um, is 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 one thing. It's a strength, but it's also a weakness in the sense that if you're not careful, you can just keep doing it. Right. And there is no end in sight. And and you do have to deal with the fact that, yeah, there are a lot of these, and it's funny, but to what end? To what purpose are we are we are we using this strength? And that's when the panic sets in. Is when you when you begin to feel like this is a real possibility that you could you could continue this way writing. Yeah. Writing funny, fun, funny scenes right, right straight through now until you know they close the coffin. <laughs> but in this novel, that describes also quite a lot. I mean, there's a moment where Raymer describes it as you know, I think it's be phrase like perpetually bewildered. Right. These are characters often they are meandering right. through that or, or wondering what's happened to their lives. So it's, right. I was very interested by the fact there's a particular age range or the characters that aren't in this novel there aren't many young people right. those young people you hear at some distance maybe Jerome um, and, and, and Sharice maybe but is that what's slightly terrifying about it or how do you write about aimless characters who have mm-hmm. that sense of drift at a particular moment when you're aimless life? yourself yeah. You're, you're, you're yeah. <laughs> yeah and yeah, that's your imagination yeah. is there a danger that it sort of gets as you say that the, the sense of a kind of I think it's a lovely phrase about cosmic joke the novel is it is a bit like a cosmic yeah. joke this novel but that it can you never get to the... Oh, there is only one punchline. Yeah. Which Sully's faintly aware of. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is, that, is that a danger for your imagination, that it will just... It won't reach a destination? That the jest is infinite? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, that's what, that, that's what I've been describing, but on the other hand, <laughs> the, the panic... The terror is the same in virtually every book. But then there's also, I mean, if there's anything to console yourself with, is the fact that it happens every single time. And there hasn't been one that I've had, there hasn't yet been one that I've had to give up on. I've come very, very close with Bridge of Sighs and with this book. But I had an interesting conversation with Ann Patchett last year, Mm. in which she said at one point, we were talking on stage, um, at which she said at one point, and I don't, she wasn't speaking literally, but she says what keeps her going through her novels is to remember, and it's very hard to do, but to remember, the way she put it is, I always feel this way on page 175. <laughs> always. And if you, can re- if you can find a way to remember that, 
because the 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 panic um, the panic feels every time it feels completely new and it feels completely fresh and you and that feeling is all right I've, done, I've finally done it to myself I have finally bitten off more than I can chew gotten myself genuinely lost instead of just you know kind of enjoying the feeling of being lost no now I'm truly lost all those things come into your head and about the only rope that you have to hold on to is to remember as best you can that despite the fact that this feels new it's not new it happens every time it is just so predictable that I will feel so shitty and so stupid um, and just relax as best you can there will it'll work out it's all you have do you remember when it happened in, in Everybody's Fool? Was there a particular... Um, I, I can't tell you the, the page or anything like that, but there was a sense about, literally, about three quarters of the way through when things should have been coming into, should have been coming into focus. We should have been making that turn for home, except I didn't know where home was, and um, I didn't know how to get there. I just did not, there were just so many balls in the air, there was just so much, so much going on. Um, the Raymer story was not quite so opaque to me. Uh, the Raymer story, it seemed, because I knew who the garage, I knew, I knew which garage door it was going to open. Um, but I didn't know how it would happen. I didn't know. I didn't know how to get Raymer to that garage. How is he going to? Mm. How is he going to find out? Um, and it seemed to me that he couldn't. On the one hand, he couldn't figure it out, um, and it certainly wouldn't work for Cherise to tell him. Mm. Um, and that might have been at the point when Dougie was born in the book, the lightning strike. Um, because it was a way for Raymer to figure it out without figuring it out himself. And in the, in the front of his mind, he had to have something, he had to have some other, some other version of himself that's good at things he's not good at, to, or whatever, some part of himself that he's nice. been suppressing for a long time, um, a suspicious part of his nature. So, and when, and that was a moment of dark despair too, because because Dougie turning up in the lightning strike, I thought, no, God, now what have I done? <laughs> what in the world am I going to do so with this? You're not planning the, the, the lightning that scene where, and there are characters that talk to themselves quite yeah. a lot in your, yeah. in your fiction, but yeah. that was a, and there's there's a lovely moment where Sully, it, where where Raymer tells Sully, there's this, yeah, <laughs> were you like Sully at that moment, thinking, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, and, that's, and that seemed to me a problem when it was, in fact, the solution to my problem of not, how, no, not knowing how to get Raymer to that discovery. Dougie is, how, Dougie is how we get there. But that's not how Dougie seemed to me at yeah. the moment. Likewise, uh, or a different sort of problem, was that having given Sully that ticking clock, Was the clock going to run out or not? Did Sully... Was this the book in which Sully was going to die? Yeah. And I... It just... Both things kind of seemed wrong. Both solutions seemed kind of wrong. 
on the one hand, you can't say no. It was just gas. You know, you you can't. You you have to honor the you have to honor the 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 fact that he's a very sick man, and he doesn't have long to live. It's just is he gonna is he going to die? Is he going to die in our presence or at some later moment? And if he's not going to die, what's the purpose? What's the purpose in that in terms of in terms of the uh, of the overall arc of of the story? Um, so I was kind of I was kind of flummoxed about um, um, what the what the point of his his story would be mm. if he didn't die, um, because obviously things can't be the same. He can't return to where he was at the beginning of the book. Something substantive has to have changed about him at the end. Mm. Um, but I had no idea what it was. <laughs> <laughs> You got to know. I did. Somehow, <laughs> somehow, I just wandered around, stumbled around. I can edit this bit out, but the, when you write the scene where Sully puts the watch, and I think the line is, he didn't hear the footsteps. And I thought, yeah. Um, did you write that slight, not knowing whether he would come out? Or did by, you the time, by the time I wrote that scene, Mm-hmm. I knew, right. but but a chapter or two before that, I didn't know. And in a way, I mean, I, I, I did. I did probably the most selfish thing a writer could do is that I had it both ways. I both, I mean, that chapter um, where Sully is walking up the um, walking up the driveway and falls, and you realize that his his. His ticking heart. He's he has come to the realization that what served him all of his life, keeping in motion, he's all out of motion. And when he falls, and you hear the footsteps coming toward him, and you and you think mm. it's Roy Purdy. Yeah. You think that there's yeah. nothing else can happen. Yeah. At at that point. So I had. Uh, I was able to both have my cake and eat it too. I. I I, I gave I gave I gave him his I gave him his I gave him the actor's great death scene, which every actor wants, <laughs> and then got to have him come back later and comment on it. <laughs> so that's you pushing yeah. the ants around. Yeah, that's 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 the that's the that's the stick right there. That's the sticky the sticky popsicle stick that that the writer either is or is not justified in in moving. Wow. <laughs>